The ideal maternity home opened in the late 1920s and would end up running through the late 1940s. The two owners would be rolling in dough and babies. But unlike a lot of adoption agencies now, the children were not in the best conditions. Every single infant under their care was living in dirty beds filled with flies and millions of other babies. And if they were deemed non-marketable, they would be left to die and be buried in butter boxes. Hey guys, and welcome back to my podcast. I'm your host, Lulu, and it's great to hear from everybody again. I know, thank goodness, I have this Sunday's upload going up. I'm so glad you guys are patient with me, and I'm actually really excited and a little sad to talk to you about today's case. I have heard about today's case before. This is not the first time I've heard about this case, but it's the first time doing my own research on it. And it kind of impacts you different when you look this up yourself and you get a look at all the pictures that are available and, you know, things like that. Trigger warning, this is about infant babies. So if that's going to upset you, um, click away. Don't listen to this one. Otherwise, you know, we are going to talk about them. It's important that we talk about these kind of things so things like this don't happen again. It's super late at night, and so I'm sort of being kind of quiet, so if, you know, I sound a little different, that's why I want to try to not wake up any of my children or my husband since it is so late that I'm recording this. But I hope everybody's weekend was good. Mine was pretty good. We went to the water park this weekend. We were supposed to go backpacking, but, you know, some things came up. We didn't end up going backpacking, and now we're just hanging out at home getting ready for our Monday. I also started canning officially this weekend because my huge garden is producing so much and that has been really fun as well. So I hope you guys had a great weekend and let's get into the really sad case of the Butterbox Babies. The case of the Butterbox Babies starts with William Young. William Young was 30 at the time and he was a chiropractor. He was married to Lily Young, who was 29 at the time and was just barely starting her career as a midwife. Interestingly enough, though, she would call herself an OB when they decided to open the Ideal Material Home in 1928. They would open this home starting off with barely enough money for the cost of the babies to just stay there. Now, there is a couple differences between a midwife and an OB. Nowadays, at least, a midwife is somebody who will oftentimes support you during birth in whatever way you want to happen. People will often have midwives because they decide to deliver at home or they decide to go through a different path of delivery. For example, water birthing is another one that a lot of people will have midwives for because not a lot of doctors will allow you to do a water birth. A lot of the times when one has a home birth, they will usually follow the woman's body. They do not check for dilation very often. She does a lot of unmedicated laboring. They push when they feel like they need to push in different positions and in different places. 
Whereas in the doctor's office, a lot of doctors oftentimes will try and rush the procedure and only let you labor for 24 hours after your water has broken. This rushing of the procedure can be done in a couple of different ways, like administering medication that you may or may not want, forcefully dilating, a lot of things like that. On top of this, sometimes the doctors can convince you to push when your body is not ready to push. Despite popular belief, when you are dilated to a 10 and 100% effaced, that does not mean you are necessarily ready to push. If your body doesn't feel the need to push, you still shouldn't push even though the baby can potentially come out. But doctors, when you are a 10 and 100% effaced, will usually have you begin to push, whether or not your body is showing all of the signs of being ready. Now, OBs in the hospital usually have a certain way they like you to give birth. It's almost like a list of things they need to go through before the baby is there. Most of the time, you do not have an OB come to your home for a home birth. On top of that, you are constantly monitored through the entire labor through a multitude of different things. These can include cervical checks, blood tests, swabs. Most of these things are kind of done unnecessarily. You do not necessarily need your cervix checked every hour. You do not always need these swabs that they end up giving you or anything like that. And like I said earlier, it is entirely possible to have a doctor that while they are checking your dilation will stretch you when you are not ready to be stretched and this can cause some uh, discomfort that shouldn't be there and some complications. I know that it sounds like I lean more towards the midwife way of giving birth, but even though a midwife does sound like a really good way, they are not certified in C-sections and will often turn away from a c-section as much as possible. They also do not have any monitoring equipment that the doctors usually have, and these births are usually performed at home, which causes the risk for infections and more complications. You can have birth in a hospital with an OB and have it your way. You do not need to do everything that the doctors attempt to convince you to do. If you go in with a birth plan and refuse a multitude of things, you can have the birth you want to have with a doctor. You do not need to have cervical checks. You do not need to have any medication. You even can technically eat during birth if that's something you want to do. It is important though that if you decide to go this way, that you have somebody who knows your birth plan and can be your advocate during birth. Even though it sounds like I lean more towards the midwife way of giving birth, I have given birth to both of my babies in the hospital with a doctor. My son, for example, would have been a very bad baby to give birth with a midwife. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong, and I had too much fluid, he had multitude of problems he needed to be in the NICU, he was early, and a lot of things could have happened that would have potentially hurt my son if I would have given birth to him at home. Same with my daughter. She actually got stuck and we had to use the forceps. She was crashing. I prefer going to the doctors even if I have a midwife with me at the doctors because you can also do that. You can give birth with an OB and have a midwife there as well who knows your birth plan and can be your advocate. Either way, both have their pros and cons. 
Both of them have reasons you should do them over the others. And if you are planning on choosing somewhere to go give birth, it's important you weigh all of your options and decide what's best for you and your family. Either way, she should not have been calling herself an OB because she did not have the certifications to perform some of the procedures during birth. Now let's talk about the ideal maternity home a little more. It sounded amazing. They would promise the family's maternity care from the very beginning, and very discreet birthing, and finding a home for the children that the parents did not want. This was huge because nowhere else would allow them to have discreet birthing and take the baby from them if they did not want the baby. The big downfall though, if the owners were actually doing that. The idea of being able to give birth to a child and be able to hand them to somebody else to find them a home sounds great and it could have been great, but they weren't really doing that. The home that these children would end up being given to, to hand to other people, would end up becoming an illegal trading home between Canada and the US. The reason for this is because Jewish couples were having a hard time having children or adopting children in order to have the family that they wanted. It seemed like there was not enough children for every person that wanted a baby to adopt from. And the United States had actually put a law in place that stated that it was illegal to adopt across religious backgrounds. So this home that was placing the children with parents who did want them was breaking the law because they were selling these babies to parents of different religious backgrounds. This would basically end up in black market adoptions. If breaking the law, even though the law sounds really dumb to us now, wasn't bad enough, this home had to also make money. They had to be able to pay for all of the things any of the babies needed on top of pay for any help that needed to come to the home. This home would charge a measly fee of $500 to the parents that did not want their children. Now guys, the average wage of these parents was only about $8 a week. $500 then actually equates to being closer to $7,000 in today's money. So that was a very unrealistic goal to be able to hand this home. If you were giving birth to a baby that you did not want though and you could not afford it, the home offered some assistance. You could work both parents at the ideal maternity home for 18 months in order to pay the $500 bill off. Right off the bat, of course, that is a lot of money for one baby that these homes were making. But this was not the only fee they were charging because they also had an adoption fee. The home would charge $10,000 for the new parents to buy these children off of them. You guys, that is $140,000 in today's money. That is a literal house. And I know adopting today is also expensive, but that is ridiculous. The average amount somebody spends to adopt a child is usually between $10,000 to $25,000 in today's money. And they were charging $140,000. 
That's insane. But these parents were so set on having children and wanted them so bad that they were willing to pay that amount of money. For a while, this worked out really well. And then, when they opened the business, this could not have happened at a more perfect time for them. Because this happened during World War II, and their business would begin to boom. They would begin to roll in dough, because this home was located near a port. This port would dock boats that would carry sailors and merchants. And when these men were docked, they would do everything and everyone that they could when they were on land, leaving a ton of unmarried pregnant women behind to have a child that they didn't want and the mother didn't want. So nine months later, they had one woman after another rolling in, birthing the babies and handing them over, either paying that $500 deposit if they could afford it or staying and working for them for free. So they were also getting free labor. This caused a mass influx of babies. Not only were they now rolling in dough from these parents, but they were also rolling in free labor and rolling in babies. But they did not sell as fast as they were coming causing the ideal maternity home to begin to mark these babies, one after another, as sellable or unsellable. If these children had any sort of deformity, even small ones, they were marked as unsellable. If they were born sick, they were marked as unsellable. If they looked like a darker shade than the usual white baby, they were marked as unsellable. If they felt like they didn't like how these babies looked and they wouldn't sell, you guys, they were marked as unsellable. When a baby was marked as unsellable, it almost entirely sealed their fate. They would be pushed into the back of the baby room that held all of these babies and not given the food that they deserved being only fed molasses and water. The molasses and water would only be able to sustain these infants for about two weeks before they would starve to death. The sick babies were left to die from their sickness or starve, whichever came first. Once these infants began to die one after another, they would dig through the garbage and find discarded dairy boxes, placing these dead, small, unwanted, helpless babies in these wooden grocery boxes. They would then carry them outside the property and bury them just feet from the home. If they didn't have a spot they wanted to bury them at, they would bury them near the cemetery. Sometimes they would throw these babies into the sea. Other times, if they were feeling really lazy, they would just toss these dead bodies into the ideal maternity home's furnace to heat the place up. You guys, and if this wasn't bad enough, if two parents who wanted their child came in and gave birth to a perfect, healthy baby, the home would take this baby to give it a check call the set of parents that were next on the line 
and hand this brand new baby off to them, selling the baby for $10,000, and then turning around and informing the two parents who wanted their baby that their child was sick and had died after birth, and they had already taken care of the baby for them. If the parents ended up giving birth to twins, they were both perfect and sellable, they would split the twins up and sell them to separate parents. If a couple wanted to adopt twins, they would find two babies that looked similar, pair them together, and call them twins. And you guys, I know looking through adoption sites and stuff right now is hard. It does feel kind of like you're looking for a puppy to adopt and you're looking at these pictures, but it was worse for the Butterbox babies because they would be lined up in rows like a grocery store. And the parents that were looking for a new child would walk down every row and look at every baby and pick out the baby they liked the best. Even the sellable babies didn't get treated well there. They were in very unclean conditions and they did not get nearly the amount of care they needed. This would leave them with lasting side effects from the ideal maternity home. They were ignored, starved, and unwashed. They didn't have the means or the want to take care of the mass amount of babies that were in their home. And finally, in 1933, the Nova Scotia Child Welfare Director and Health Minister would become aware of the home. They would force the home to hire a registered nurse to care for the mass amount of children that were being born there. Then they would be caught in some fraud in 1935. They were charging for childcare expenses for a child that they had proof had actually died. And here's where more red flags began to raise and more officials became concerned. In 1936, the two of them would finally be charged with manslaughter because they were the cause of death between a mother and a child because they were not qualified in doing the procedures that they were attempting on this mother and her child. They would not be prosecuted for the murders, however, but they would be convicted of other violations. Then in 1945, the health officials would intervene finally, discovering then that the two of them were violating adoption licensing laws, and they would begin to charge them with a number of things. 1947, the ideal maternity home would finally be closed. During its inspection, the home was discovered to be so overcrowded. It was filled with flies and starving children. But at the time of the downfall of the ideal maternity home, the authorities were not aware of the children who were dead and buried just feet from them. In an attempt to stay open, the two of them would change their name. But at this point, the news was out about them faking adoption papers, leeching money from parents, the conditions that the babies were kept in, and the fact that the babies were even being stolen in some cases, so nobody trusted them. At least a thousand children were adopted out. 
at least four to six hundred babies were starved to death and would be found buried in those butter boxes later down the road. The two of them would die in 1960, and after what happened, the authorities began to look into the law, fearing that something like this would happen again, and they would decide to change the law to protect future children that were not wanted. One woman who survived the home found out later down the line. Her mother shared the story of the rows and rows and rows of children all wanting to be taken. One after another of these almost perfect children available for her to look at. But none of them were right. Then in the corner, she spotted a sick looking skinny baby. The only baby that had dark hair like herself. And she knew that was the baby that she wanted. This baby was less than perfect. There was clearly something wrong with the child when she adopted it. So once the mother had this baby in her arms, she ran it to the hospital. The doctor informed her that she had pneumonia and told the mother that she needed to get help as soon as possible. And she needed to get out of that home that she was sitting in. The woman picked the only child with dark hair, saving the life of this girl, because if they only gave her one more day she would have likely not made it. The authorities didn't discover the Butterbox babies till later down the road, when they started to dig up one after another of these poor crates with these so sad babies in them. And that's when they knew the ideal maternity home was a lot more than just a home that was doing illegal adoptions. The ideal maternity home was murdering the unmarketable babies. There may be false or misleading information throughout this podcast. All facts have been researched to the best of my abilities, but accidents do happen. If this is a story you are interested in knowing more about, I highly recommend doing your own research. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.